You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. All right, I've titled my message today, Look at Him. Look at Him. Can you look at somebody and say, look at Him? Look at Him. Let me ask you this. How much of your motivation to succeed in any area of your life is fueled by your desire to appear a certain way. Now, this is not a question about an ill desire to pretend. This is not a question about whether you want to deceive people into thinking that you're somebody else. This is not a question about whether you want to fake success or project an image that's not real. This is not about deceiving people. This is a question about motivation. The the operative word in that question is motivation. How much of your motivation is fueled by your desire to appear a certain way? In other words, are you motivated by appearance? I think that nowadays that's a question that shouldn't be a a, a question of whether we're motivated by appearances. And I, I would assume many generations past as well would be a question of how much of our motivation is appearances. Because we care about appearances. We all do. That's why we got dressed this morning. That's why you get haircuts and uh, put on makeups. That's why, you know, you selected the shoes that you selected. That's why, you know, some of us shave. That's why (laughs) we take showers. And, you know, you want to project a certain image. And there's a healthy way to do that. There's There's a healthy level to it. But motivation matters. We should, we should keep our motivations in check because motivation matters. Because motivation drives action. What motivates you drives action. There was a poll published by the magazine Psychology Today where it says that 31% of American teenagers believe they will be famous one day. 31%. That's almost a third if you think dancing with the, star, with the stars was crowded, wait a few years. It's going to be a lot more people coming in <laughs> dancing with the stars. It's going to be like dancing with the asteroids or something. I don't know. 31%. There's another poll done by USA Today, the newspaper, where it says that 51% of uh, 18 to 25-year-olds to believe that to be famous is amongst their generation's top Goals. It's one of their generation's primary goals. To be famous is one of their greatest goals. As opposed to helping people in need. 30% believe that that's a great goal. Or be a leader in the community. 22% believe that that was a great goal. And 10% selected uh, being more spiritual. So there is a, there is a, a growing sense of a desire for fame, but we understand this. You're sitting here right now, and you're probably not impressed or surprised. You're sitting here right now, and I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. When I read this, I wasn't surprised. I read it, and I was like, yeah, sounds about right. It's not going to happen, but (laughs) sounds about right. And it's not their fault. It's the devices and the avenues and the things that we have around us that make us believe that fame for fame's sake is the way to go. Now, this is not 
a message, and my point today here is not to beat down fame. Because it might as well be that fame is in your future. It might as well be that fame is part of your journey. If you're a writer, if you're a, a art, an artist here, if you started a business, we'll be the first ones to bless you, to pray for you, to root for you and say, hey, go at it. May fame be in your future. Because we believe, you know, that things, when things are done with greatness and consistently done with greatness, you will claim fame. It'll happen. You will develop a following and people will come to your business. They'll, they'll appreciate your idea. They'll buy your product. So this is not a message to, to beat down fame because even in scriptures, scriptures, scriptures talk about the fame of Moses. It talks about the fame of Joshua. It talks about the fame of Abraham. It talks about the fame of John the Baptist. It talks about the fame of David. Talks about even the fame of Jesus. There are several passages that talk about the fame of Jesus. In fact, that's why we're here this morning, to make Jesus famous. So fame is my being in your future. You know, Jesus himself said, let your light shine before others. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and may glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus was advocating fame for fame's sake. He was, but he was saying, there are good works in you that are meant to come out and be seen so that people may bring glory to God. So this is not about whether you want to uh, uh, show your talents or whether, you know, fame is good or bad. But there is on the inside, rooted in every single person, a desire to be noticed. There is in every single person a call, a cry to say, look at me. Look at what I can do. Look at my life. Look at me. And the temptation today, because of the devices, because of the opportunities at hand, because of the things that surround us and the massive amount of outlets that we have, the, 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 the temptation today is to desire fame for fame's sake. It's to live for appearances, for appearances' sake. It's to desire to lead a life for the sake of appearance. And if we're not careful, leading that kind of life can cause us to live an aimless life. Because somebody who leads a life for appearances is somebody who's always seeking other people's opinions. And you live aimless. And a life that's aimless, it's a life that's empty because it has no purpose and it has no direction. Motivation matters. Now, to live a life for the sake of appearances means that you work hard to achieve something because you want to be seen as that something, not because of the purpose of that something. In other words, if you are a student, you study hard to be number one, to be the best student in your class. Not because you value academics, not because you value the information, not because you want to learn and grow, but because you want your name on the wall. You want to be known as the first uh, student in your class, the best student in your class. Living for appearances sake is wanting to be the first person, the top salesperson in your division. Not because you have some financial plan for your family or your future. Not because you envision an investment plan for your retirement. Not because you believe in your product and you believe that the more you sell your product, the more people will be helped because your product helps people's lives. But it's because you want to see your name on number one. At the top of the podium, you want to be the number one salesperson. The same is true or the same can be true. 
for success. To be successful because you want to be seen as successful. To be knowledgeable because you want to be seen as knowledgeable. Or even to be generous because you want to be seen as generous. I was at a local library a few months ago. And I was standing looking for something near the main desk. And uh, there was this older gentleman, a nice gentleman. Uh, he seemed nice. Talking to a staff person. And uh, he was having a conversation with the staff person. And I wasn't eavesdropping, but he was speaking loudly enough that everybody around could hear the conversation. And he wasn't yelling either, but it was just the, the way that the room was designed or the entranceway was designed. Everybody could hear their conversation. And he said something along the lines of, well, if I donate $5 million to this library, I would like to see my name on a wall visible somewhere. That would be, you know, a requirement. And something along those lines, he said, if I give $5 million to this library, I'd like to see my name somewhere. And that got to me. I'm like, you know, I wasn't judging the man. But in my heart, I was like, there's so many other great reasons to give to a library. It promotes children's literacy. You know, you, you're promoting culture. You're preserving history. You're giving people access, people who don't have access to books. You're giving them access to information that is vital for them to grow and understand our world and develop their, their, their gifts. And it might as well be that that man cared about it. But the primary caveat was, I want to see my name somewhere. You know, and that's a simple example of how the drive for appearances can overshadow purpose. In our, in our lives. So let me ask you this. Why do you do what you do? Why do you wake up in the morning? What drives you to perform, to produce? What drives you to do what you do? What is the primary drive behind your motivation? How much of your motivation to succeed in any given area of your life is fueled by your desire to appear a certain way? About 3,000 years ago, according to scriptures, Israel demanded a king. They came up to Samuel, who was Israel's last judge, and he said, they said, the elders came up and they said, we want a king. So in that process of transition from a theocracy to a monarchy, Israel uh, selected a king. Now, up until then, from the time Joshua died to the time they selected a king, they had been ruled by judges. Judges were people who uh, uh, ruled the kingdom by, according to the law of God, and they brought you know, judgment on Israel's enemies. And, but God had a direct connection to the people through the law and through those judges. And Samuel, being the last judge, was the man that was uh, um, tasked uh, to select a king. And so... If you know the story, you know that Samuel pushed back and he said, are you sure you want to do this? Do you know what this means? Because this king will get your sons and he will enlist your sons in his army. He will send your sons to battle. He will uh, get your daughters and turn him into perfumers and cooks and, and put them in the kitchen. He will take 10% of everything you own. To, and you produce, he will take it for himself. And he will have the ability to turn you into slaves. Are you sure you want to go there? Are you sure you want to become a monarchy? And they said, yes, we want to become a monarchy. Why? Because we want to be like everybody else. We want to look like every other nation. You want to have a king to judge us. We want to have a king to go 
ahead of us in battle. And so God told Samuel, just follow the people's uh, desire and select for them a king. So that process was not a, a smooth process. It was a bit of a messy process. If you know the story, you know that the first king selected by Samuel was Saul. And God called Saul to be king, but Saul failed. And then later God called David to be king. But there's a, there's a, there's a couple of parallels between Saul and David that I want to share with you today. They're very distinctive. And they go along with our message today about appearances. Because a lot of the motivation, especially in, in, uh, in uh, uh, Samuel's or uh, in Saul's kingdom, was very different than David's motivation. And a lot of the motivation in Saul's uh, king, kingdom was about appearances. And we see this in the first reference to Saul. The first ever reference about Saul is about his appearance. It's about how he looked. It said uh, in Samuel, we can look at it right now. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 9 verses 1 and 2. This is what it said. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zerah, son of Bekorah, son of uh, Aphiah. I think that's Aphiah. A Benjam Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. That's high praise, man. From his shoulders upward, shoulders from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. He was handsome. He was good looking. That's the description. That's the first mention of Samuel. Here's Samuel. He looks good. Oh, sorry, Saul. Here's Saul. He looks good, and he's rich. He should be king. Sure, that's a good idea. So this is what happens. Samuel invited Saul to a feast. Saul gets invited to Samuel's house for a feast. He puts Saul, Samuel puts Saul in the place of honor, invites special guests to come, gives them a special dish, cooks him a special dish. And I'm just summarizing the whole uh, uh, experience here. And the next morning, he was anointed king by Samuel and sent home with signs. Samuel said, these are the three signs that are going to confirm what just happened today. You were meant to be king and you will be proclaimed king. And these three things will happen. And one of the three things is that Saul was going to prophesy among the prophets. Now Saul seemed to be a pretty secular king. And you see that because he wasn't very in tune with God. He didn't even know who Samuel was when he first met him. He's Looked at Samuel right in the eye and said, where's the prophet of God? And Samuel had said, it's me. He had no clue. But here is Saul prophesying among the prophets. And later he was proclaimed king with shouts of long live the king. And it was a feast and it was amazing. On the outside, it looked great. On the outside is the kind of rise that you and I want. You look at the rise of Saul and you go like, that's what I want for my life, man. Here, I imagine that you're out looking for your dad's donkeys, okay? 
So you're out, your dad lost some donkeys, and you know, you're going out there, you got your servant with you, you got your staff with you, right? It was really a slave, but let's, you know, bring it to the 21st century. You got a nice employee, uh, an administrator, you know, an assistant with you, and you're cruising along looking for the donkey, and you bump into the man of God, the guy who has the power to, you know, anoint someone king, and he looks at you dead in the eye, and he says, young man, you look good. You're rich. Guess what? You're going to be king of Israel. And you go like, yeah, right on. And you come home, anointed king, has, you have all that experience. Shortly after, you're proclaimed king and people are screaming, long live the king. That's a fairy tale. On the outside, it looked great. It's what you and I would want. But on the inside... There were telltale signs that this thing was headed for a disaster. A first telltale sign is that when he was supposed to be proclaimed king, Saul couldn't be found. In his own coronation ceremony, he couldn't be found. In fact, God had to tell Samuel where he was. Samuel asked God, is, are we not going to coronate anybody here today we're not going to uh raise a king today and uh, Samuel goes and God tells Samuel yeah go find your guy he's hiding among the baggages Saul was hiding he was insecure he had no real confidence in what God had called him to do he was timid and that was the first telltale sign the other thing that you can find in the story of Saul and I'm giving you a, a broad summary here is that Saul was a person who, had, who deeply cared about the optics. He deeply cared about appearances. He deeply cared about the opinion of those around him more than he cared about God's direction for his life. And that was a train wreck for his kingdom because Saul, when he received a directive, he, he failed many times. It wasn't a successful kingship from the start. And he failed with his son. He failed with his troops. He failed when it was supposed to, he was supposed to sacrifice and wait for Samuel. He failed then. But the last one, the last straw that broke the camel's back was when God told him, you need to bring judgment upon the, Malachi, the Amalekites. The Amalekites were enemies of Israel. And there is a deeper reason why God sent him to do that. And I'm not going to get into it here. But it was the call of judgment. God was saying, you have to destroy them all. You can't bring anything back. They are all devoted to destruction. Go and do this. And he went. And he was pressured by the people to bring the goods, bring the gold, bring the silver, bring the cattle back. And he gave in. He was very interested in pleasing the people. And so God told Samuel, uh, Saul is not obeying me. He has, he has uh, stopped obeying my commandments. And I have regretted that we made him king. I have regretted making him king. And then something amazing happens. Samuel goes to see Saul. And uh, this is where we pick up on the scripture. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 15 verse 12. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. <clears throat> and he was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel. And behold, he set up a monument for himself. And turned and passed on and went on to Gilgal. Now pause right here. It almost sounds silly, right? God gave you a task. You were pressured against it. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. And then you go like, you know what? I did pretty good. 
That's what he did. He's like, you know what I deserve for all that I did? A monument. I'm going to make myself a statue. I'm, I'm going to make myself a trophy. And I'm going to give it to my, I'm going to build it. Because that's what I deserve. He was patting himself on the back. He was like, Saul, you did good. He had no clue that he had been a transgressor of God's commandments. He had no clue that he had sinned. Because he was so focused on the optics. He was so focused on the appearances. On pleasing the people. That that was the measure for him. His measure was, are the people happy? All right, then I did good. Let's set up a monument unto myself. And that's what he did. And when, uh, when Samuel pushed back on him, when Samuel confronted him and told him, you will no longer be king. Because God has selected someone better than you to take your place. This is the first response that Saul gives Samuel. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. And return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. He was still worried about how he was being seen. He was still worried about appearances. He had just been told that he had sinned that he had done something wrong that he he had been a bad king and his his main preoccupation his main thing in his mind is Samuel you got to honor me before the people though you got to make me look good it's really important that I look good before the elders and before the people in my life on the counter on the other end on the opposite end there's David and I want to bring this parallel to you now. Because the way David was selected, the way God called David was similar in the steps. But it was very different. The motivation behind it was very different. And we see in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6 and 7. Uh, before I read, Samuel was Called by God. And some scholars say that it took between the last time Samuel saw Saul. It took about two to five years between that and Samuel going to the house of Jesse. But he did not know. Samuel did not know. You need to know this before you read the passage. Samuel did not know who was going to become king. He just knew that it was, it was one of Jesse's sons. So Samuel chapter 16 verses 6 and 7. When they came, he looked on Eliab. That was uh, Jesse's uh, firstborn. Uh, he, the oldest son, and Samuel thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. You see here? Do not look on his appearance or on the height or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as the man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. For Saul... The first thing, the first description was, look at him. Look at how good he looks. Look at his appearance. Look at how tall he is. For David, it was the opposite. So, no, 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 no. Samuel, don't go that route. That's the route of men. That's the route you went with Saul. No, 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 no. You're going to go God's route now. And God's route is, he doesn't look at appearances. He looks at the heart. He looks at the motivation. He looks at what is underneath it all. When David was anointed king opposite to Saul, he wasn't anointed in public with a big fanfare, with a big dinner, 
with everybody else and guests of honor and a position of honor. David was discounted. He was the one that the family was sure he wasn't going to be the one. And they were a poor family, so much so that David was out taking care of the sheep. They didn't have people to do that. And later on, David himself says that he comes from a poor family. Imagine sitting at the table with seven brothers who just got passed up from being king. And you're sitting with them. Imagine what kind of dinner David had. Because Samuel came to Eliab and said, you might be king. No, no, not you. And the next one is like, oh, God, please let it be me. Let it be me. And he's like, nope, not you. Nope, not you. For seven times. So you have seven disappointed, jealous brothers staring you down during dinner. That was the kind of honored uh, uh, position that David had when he learned to be king. How would you like to be there? David was anointed king as a teenager. But it was basically Samuel coming to his house on a secret mission. He couldn't tell anybody what he was doing. He actually told people that he came to sacrifice. He didn't tell people that he came to, honor, to, to anoint the king. And he tells David, you're going to be king. The chicken was delicious. See you later. And leaves. That was it. And years went by before he came true. Years. About 15 years, some scholars say. On the outside, it didn't look good. On the outside, it didn't look impressive. On the outside, it did not look promising. On the outside, David was the youngest boy of a poor family living in the outskirts of Bethlehem, taking care of some sheep on the hill countryside. On the outside, David was a poor boy. And the likelihood of that boy to become king the likelihood of that boy to rise to kingship was next to impossible. It wasn't the scenario that you and I would select. It is not the scenario that you and I would say, I want that path. But on the inside, on the inside, there was a man who was motivated by purpose. There was a man who was motivated by the will of God. There was a man who was motivated to pursue God's will. See, while Saul feared the people, David feared the Lord. Well, while Saul seek to please people, David sought to please the Lord. While Saul honored himself, David honored God. And even though when their paths eventually crossed, when their paths eventually uh, collided, and, and, and David came into Saul's service, it was clear that David had the hand of favor, that David had the favor of God. It was clear to everybody that David had the favor of God over his life. But David never, ever seized the kingdom from Saul. Even though he had the opportunity, he had the might, he had the ability, he never seized the kingdom from Saul. He always considered Saul to be his king. He always honored Saul. In fact, David recognized Saul's kingship and the anointing of God in Saul's life until Saul died. You might have heard in pop culture the, the phrase, oh, how the mighty have fallen. People say that, oh, how the mighty have fallen. That's a reference to the lamentation psalm that David wrote regarding Saul's death. 
Three times he says it uh, regarding Saul in that lamentation psalm. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. You can find it in 2 Samuel chapter 1 or 2. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. And to this day, that endures because that feeling, that emotion. He made everybody decorate that, that memorize that psalm because he honored Saul so much. Now, here's my point today. This is why I, draw, I drew this parallel. This is why I'm sharing uh, the, the approach of Saul and the approach of David. Because there is a Saul in you. There is a Saul in all of us. But also there's a David in all of us. There is a Saul in you that seeks appearances that wants to please people. But there's also a David in you that yearns for purpose. That yearns for the will of God. And you're here this morning and you're probably living in between the tension of living for appearances, of projecting a kind of life and a kind of image to people because of the sake, for the sake of that image or to please God and to seek God's purpose for your life regardless of people's opinion. See, the saw in you. Is a part of you that is motivated by appearances. The saw in you is a part of you that's swayed by people's opinions. It's a part of you that is driven to be a people pleaser. That is driven to, to acquire people's approval. And when you were ruled by the Saul in you, you were motivated by approval of others, by the appearance of how you're seen, and by... And by Getting attention, the right kind of attention. And that is exhausting. That's an exhausting lifestyle. You know, if, when you live that way, to receive the approval of people, the affirmation of people, to receive the attention of people, you have to constantly stimulate people's senses. You have to constantly stimulate their senses. In other words, you have to constantly be entertaining. Right? And for you to be someone who entertains, you have to remain entertaining. For you to be someone who attracts others, you have to remain attractive. You have to keep that up. For you to be somebody who you cause or who you uh, uh, attract people or impress people, you have to remain impressive. Even saying that is exhausting. It's exhausting to live that kind of life. Now, when you're, when you're guided by the David in you, there's a different approach to life. There's a different approach to living. You know, you live for a higher purpose. You live for the call of God in your life. You live for the, for the reason why uh, you were meant to live. And you're not guided by people's opinions. You're not guided by people's plans for you. But you are guided by God's plan for your life. And you're directed by His desire. You're not seeking for people's approval, but you're seeking God's approval. And that's a much better way to live. So I'm going to ask you again, how much of your motivation in any area of your life, your motivation to succeed is connected to your desire to appear a certain way? Here's what I found. I found that many times we want, we want David's heart. We want David's fame. We want David's success. We want David's progression. We want David's kingship. But we want Saul's method. We want Saul's rise. We want the nice dinner, the quick rise. We want the wealth. We want Saul's path to kingship. But it doesn't happen that way. And I'm going to leave you with three thoughts before I end. 
The first thought is this. For you to be guided by the, king, the, the David in you. For David to rise, Saul has to die. David only became king after Saul died. And for David to rise in you, for the David in you to rise, Saul has to die. Which means this. The David in you will rise once you give up appearances. The David in you will rise when you, instead of saying, look at me, look at how pretty I am, look at how good I look, you say, look at him. Look at who he is. Look at how powerful he is. Look at how amazing he is. You know, you got to live as though you have nothing to prove. You got to live as though you have no one to impress. The second thought I want to leave you with in this idea is for you to be guided by the David, you have to have fear of God over fear of people. It's very important for us to lead a life where we have fear of God over the fear of people. Now, most of you know the story about David and Goliath. But why did David not fear Goliath? Why didn't David fear Goliath? Because he feared the Lord. He knew that God was with him. He feared the Lord. Why didn't David seize the kingdom from Saul? Because he feared the Lord all the same. And see, there's a mystery about the fear of God. And it, this is not something for Christians or God people only. Anybody can experience this. And if you, if you are wondering how, anyone who has, has taken part in any 12-step program knows that this is true. There's a mystery about the fear of God that can break the chains and give you freedom. There's a mystery about having the fear of the Lord that guides you in the right path. There's a mystery about engaging in it that gives you sound judgment. Scripture says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now you might say, oh, no, no, J.D., the 12-step program, it's not, it's not really God. It's the higher power. Well... Potato, potato. You know, it's like you saying, oh, J.D., it's not the air. It's the wind. Same thing. You can call it higher power. It's God. It's God because there's only one God. There's only the Lord. And you got to have fear of God over fear of people if you are going to live like a David. The, th the last thing I want to leave you with, and this is my last point, and the band can come in. Instead of stimulating senses, live to cultivate values. And our culture has, has gone away from values into stimulating senses. Every avenue, every outlet we get in contact with now, even the news outlets are all about stimulating your senses. Anger, rage, everything else. Instead of that, live to cultivate values. You know, one of the main traits that you will see all across David's life, you know, and I encourage you to read Samuel. It's an amazing, amazing life that he had, but it was not easy. During the 15 years that David waited to be king, he suffered. 
It wasn't an easy rise, but he was being developed. His character was being formed. And God used every single circumstance to make him better. And I believe that that is true for you and I here today. Instead of living for your, your senses to be stimulated or to stimulate other people's senses, live to cultivate values. And one of the values that you will see in David's life, across his life, is humility. Humility was a part, was, was a stamp in David's life. Humility was the reason why he didn't seize the kingdom. He always constantly, consistently asked the question, who am I? God, I can't believe that you would care for me. Lord, search my heart. Look and see if there's any evil way in it. Who am I to touch the anointed of the Lord? See, but true humility is not only this sense of submitting to each other or submitting to authority. True humility is not only this sense that we have from, you know, not overimposing ourselves on others. True humility is submitting to God. Because how can you submit to other people but still not submit to God, right? True humility, true humility is having that fear of the Lord in you. True humility is letting the soul in you die. The desire to say, look at me, look at me, look at how good I am, look at what I can do. And allow David to rise. The part of you that says, look at him. You know, Saul lived his life to say, look at me. He lived his life with that focus of, am I looking good? Am I doing good? Are people, do people think that I'm good? Am I being approved by people? And David lived his life to say, look at him. Look at what the Lord has done. Even when he meant that he had to lower himself, that's how he lived. And I want to encourage you this morning to shift your focus. If you're being pressured by life to live a certain way, to appear a certain way because of your peers, because of the people you live with, especially the young people here in the room today, there's a lot of pressure on you to appear a certain way in school, in your circles, but it affects all of us. Just break off, break free from that because God has a purpose for you and for you to live your life preoccupied on how you appear, how you look, which is going to be a big distraction in your life and I want to encourage you this morning to live free and whole to live in a way that you don't say just look at me but you can say look at him do you receive it this morning